Hey, you know what time it is? Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. I fell in love with the flavor. Yes, it was vanilla. I'm Micah. I'm Matsy. I'm trying to think of what... I know that, that line, but I can't think of what it's from. Um... What is it? I went on vacation at a tropical villa. I... <clears throat> I don't remember what that. I I know it. It's cereal. I don't know if I want to say it. I usually try not to name the exact thing when I quote. I know, but but this is driving me nuts because I I know that line. I just can't think of what it's from. Well, I guess that's what stalkers are going to have to tweet you after the episode. Okay, whatever. Okay, on this... Okay, happy Canada Day. Um, yeah. I'm starting mine off by going crazy. Well, actually, <laughs> it was yesterday. I think as you're listening to this, it was yesterday. Okay. Um, but yeah, so it's Canada Day, and as we do on here, we are celebrating by looking at animated shorts produced by the National Film Board of Canada, who are pretty cool. Uh, if you want to check them out, we mentioned them last week, so you should have already watched them. <laughs> but if you didn't... Uh, we're going to watch four of them. We got My Grandmother Ironed the King's Shirts, The Mountain of Sagana. We got one called Here and There, and one called John Law and the Mississippi Bubble. And they're all very long. I, I think they're all like 10 minutes long, which is kind of odd for us. Yeah, they're meaty. Um, yeah, but hey, they're fine. Hmm. Um, your name first, is Matsy, by the way. It is, yeah. Okay. I, I sh- did I mention that? I don't think Probably so. Probably not. Yeah. Oh, well, people know by now. Hmm. Or they don't care. Hmm. Um, speaking of things they don't care about, Micah, what's your news? Oh, man. That, <laughs> that really cuts me to the quick. Um, <laughs> okay, so you said a friend recommended Final Space to you, right? Right. I think it's the same friend here uh, who recommended to me Kotaro Lives Alone. Um, is it a long haired friend? No. Okay. So we have different friends then. All right. All right. Um, well, this is the better one, I guess, because this is a good show. Um, Kotaro Lives Alone. uh, It's on Netflix right now. It's a show where a four four year old boy moves into an apartment by himself. This little, uh, six suite apartment building. Um, Mm. And he is kind of serious, kind of adorable. He he has a uh, he speaks in feudal Japanese, so he's very oh. he's very like lordly. Like I remember, you were proud, and you learned that uh, in, uh, the Japanese Pokemon uh, show that Brock is uh, Takeshi Dono, right? He's got the Dono suffix. So oh okay, yeah. This boy addresses everybody like that as well. Hmm. Because because he idolizes a character from a TV show. Anyway, um, so his next door neighbor is a manga author. And at first I was thinking like, oh, no, because this used to be novel. But now there's so many self inserts in these things. You know, they they say write what you know, but I kind of think no more stuff. But at any rate, (laughs) he's a good character, though. Um, see, what kind of happens in this apartment building 
is that everybody kind of becomes a surrogate parent to this kid. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of funny when this kid, um, he, he rented this apartment without realizing it didn't have a bath. So he has to go to the local bathhouse and Mm. the manga author just like walks with him out of like a sense of obligation to look after this kid. And, and likewise, he walks him to and fro from kindergarten. The kid, the kid enrolls himself in kindergarten. He's like, uh, Um, he's very mature, but in a lot of ways, right? Like he's overly conscientious and courteous. Um, Mm -hmm. and it could be one of those things where, uh, it would really give the cynicism in you a big rise. Like, oh, it's one of these things. This kid's too wise and whatever, but, uh, -hmm. he's, he's got a lot of charm and he's, he's interesting. He's a good character. Hmm. Now I've... I have seen a clip of this show. Yes. And I have no idea the circumstances of me seeing this clip. Well, like, Netflix. I, I cannot. Netflix well, pushed yeah, it. Like, yeah. Like, I'm wondering if it was like, you know, it was just the, the thing at the top of the screen that starts playing as soon as you go on to Netflix. Okay. Or what? But I can't remember. But like, I've, I, I shouldn't talk too much about it since I don't really know anything about it beyond this little clip that I've seen. But I... I'm aware that this show exists. It's good. It, uh, mm. Yeah, Raven's quite addicted to it. Because um, this boy is just so sweet. <laughs> there is one trigger warning, I guess, for it, kind of, in that mm. they deal with issues of abuse. Oh. Um, yeah, it's kind of... I don't want to say it the wrong way, that, that uh, like, abuse comes in many forms, sure, right? Like, uh, yeah. um, it could be you know, controlling someone or, or whatever. And I don't want to like m- diminish those ones. They yeah. see, it doesn't, it doesn't sensationalize the abuse, but it doesn't sugarcoat it either. Right. right. So like you don't see it happen, but you know the nature of it. Right. So, you know, I was thinking that, that a lot of Japanese shows kind of like gloss over it, you know, like it's, oh, it's something that happened, but we're not going to, make it yeah. seem real. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe I have to amend that because this show does a good job of it. And uh, another good one that I think is still Netflix. Also your line. April has uh, abuse that they don't leave in vague terms, you know, like, Oh, Oh, well, I mean, like there it is. Right. <laughs> so right, right, yeah. um, I'm going to make sh- this series sound like at, at times it's quite serious, but for the most part it's endearing and funny. So, hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I think you know people check it out. Kotaro lives alone. Um, okay. My My Little Pony tour continues. My completion tour. Hmm. Uh, so I watched an episode where Fluttershy and her rabbit Angel. Oh um, yes. Yes. They get couples counseling from Zakora, the potion-making zebra. <sighs> you don't like Zakora? I, I I like the idea that there is a zebra. Yeah. There's a shaman. Yep. I don't like that she talks in rhyme. Well, not good rhymes a lot of the time. So yeah, I did well, it there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't like her that much. But anyway, like the idea of because Angel was always kind of not really an angel. Like Angel is hey. kind of a mean streak to him. 
Yes. So the idea that there's couples counseling going on amuses me. Yes, it's it's no capsule. But one of the things is you actually get to hear Angel's. Um, I don't want to give away too many details, but you do get to you do get to hear Angel's thoughts, like right, right. vocalized, right? So, and I felt that by the end of the episode, Angel wasn't mean enough. <laughs> hmm. But uh, I mean, still, still, at times a real jerk, yeah. and there is something that's pretty darn funny <laughs> in it. Okay, one of the things, uh, actually, there's there's a running theme in this season is people not having enough time for other people, which I wonder is part of like the crunch of finishing my little pony is everybody, you know, writers <laughs> trying to express that, you know, the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. Um, <laughs> but you remember there was one episode where, uh, where uh, Starlight doesn't have enough time for Trixie. Well, in this Fluttershy doesn't have enough time for Angel because of her work at the animal sanctuary and teaching a class at the school. Um, mm. one of the weird things is it starts off with her having a meeting with, uh, where she's convincing the predators that while they're in the sanctuary, they should eat vegetarian, <coughs> which kind of makes me feel, oh yeah. Okay. So Fluttershy likes animals, but not so much nature. <laughs> but anyway, there's, there is one pretty funny scene in it about the <laughs> removal of a baby elephant from a python. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's okay episode. But then uh, next episode, same thing. <laughs> Once again, not have enough time. And also uh, a theme in this that carries forward. Remember, remember uh, Rainbow Dash didn't want to have any part of helping the cheer squad? Yes. Um, and of course, as we established, Angel is a jerk. Well, the next episode I watch... It's rarity at her jerkiest. She all of a sudden finds that Spike doesn't have any time for her. Huh. And she, you know, she really took it for granted that she had this, uh, um, this infatuated toady that would do anything for her. Right. Um, it turns out that Spike has a new friend, a uh, Griffin, who is a uh, postal worker delivers the mail to and from Gryffindale, I think it's called. Okay. I really wanted to say Gryffindor there, but I had to, that's, my brain had to go, no, that's yeah, a yeah. different thing. Yeah. So, Rarity, out of jealousy, finds ways to monopolize all of Spike's time and ruin his relationship with this Gryffin. Hmm. Even doing stuff that is, like, abnormal for her, right? Like, uh, um... She gets him tickets to like a comic book convention and goes mm -hmm. with them, right? Or and then she uh plays ogres and oubliettes with them. <laughs> yeah. Um so pretty damn jerky of her. Now, one of the things in this episode is that they don't really establish like, is this a romantic relationship that Spike is having with this Griffin? Mm-hmm. I say yes. Like, he's bringing her ice cream cones. He's, like, hanging out with her every day, including just, you know, uh, hanging out with her while she does her uh, her rounds. Mm hmm So, that that sounds yeah. like a, uh, a puppy love sort of thing to do. Yeah, yeah. It sounds more like, it sounds more genuine than his infatuation with Rarity, which is really just him, like, 
looking at her with like diamond eyes and going, oh, <laughs> she's so whereas hot. It, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whereas with this is like, oh, this is, I sure do genuinely, genuinely enjoy spending time with this person. Yeah. And they don't address that he had an infatuation with her. Like the really mean thing about this, when you look at Rarity's actions is that she knows and is just using him. Yeah. Like that she would never return the feelings, but you know, is <laughs> that hmm. he goes shopping with her to pick, pick out uh, bolts of cloth or to taste gemstones to see which ones are the good ones and not, you know, goes gemstone yeah, yeah. hunting with her. So they never really address that. And it's kind of one of those things that, you know, I talk about this show never quite going where it should. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the show could be written for like eight to 12, but you could enjoy it if you're older. But I feel like in episodes like these, they push it right down to more like four years old, you know, mm. yeah. and not the emotionally mature Kotaro kind of four. <laughs> so they're okay episodes. Not the best, yeah. but okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, um, did you hear that they're uh, planning three Avatar animated movies? No, I did. Wait, uh, like Avatar The Last Airbender? Well, the first time I saw an article about it, it said The Last Airbender, and it made me groan a little bit like, oh, I can't because I think Korra is way better. And well, well, let me let me clarify as opposed to. James oh, Cameron's Avatar. No, not Pandora. No, no, no. Okay, okay. So it's the, the, the last Airbender universe. Yes, yes. Um, okay. And it looks it's like I said at first. I thought there were going to be Last Airbender, and it really bugs me that lately they have kind of had an eye to going backward to Airbender. Mm-hmm. What is going to be is it, well, at least it looks like it's going to be three character focused movies. Um, okay. So one is based on Kiyoshi. Now, in a prior episode of Animation Celery, I was looking up a list of, of best female uh, cartoon characters. And I came across oh, right. her, and I misidentified her as one of the warriors from Bossing Se. She, she's got oh. makeup like them. But Lady Kiyoshi is, is um, one of the former avatars. Yeah, she was the Earth one, yeah. I would yeah. say. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got the characteristic. Like, I think those warriors emulate her, uh, maybe. Or maybe it's just the style where they all have, you know, uh, white painted faces. Mm. Um, at any rate, that should be interesting. I think she's one yeah. of the more vocal avatars when uh, the avatars talk to their former selves. So, yeah. Uh, and then they're going to do a Zuko movie, which okay. would have not been my first choice. Now, the, the image they give is closer to Airbender uh, Zuko and less Korra Zuko. I would have preferred to see him more adult, I guess, but eh. I mean, when I think of Zuko, when I think we're going to expand on Zuko, the thing I think of is the period between The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. Sure. But I also think that he's... It's okay, but in a way, he's sort of the main character of the first show. A like little he's, bit, isn't he? Yeah, he's got a bigger arc, you know? Yeah. And um, also, he's got a better climax. I mean, sure, he, it doesn't go his way, but I, I feel that um, Aang's 
fight against uh, Ozen. Was that the Fire Lord's name? I don't the, remember, but yeah. What an anticlimax. I hated that. That um, was boring. You know what? As somebody with an eye for science, mm-hmm. the whole time they're like, oh, the comet is coming and it's going <laughs> to make the fire, the fire kingdom so powerful. And there's this like battle on top of like stone pillars and stuff. And the whole time I'm thinking comets are made of ice. It's your bugaboo. It, it should be making the waterbenders more powerful. By the way, if anybody doesn't know what Avatar is, um, it's kind of a martial arts series. There's two series, Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. And the idea is that there are four uh, kingdoms based on the four elements. And some people within those um, factions have the ability to manipulate or bend their particular element, like the force, like, you know, airbenders can use air. And right. Waterbenders can move around ice and water and stuff. And the idea here is that there is at any given time, there is one being constantly reincarnated who has the ability to bend all four elements. And he's kind of he or she, I should say, is kind of the like peacekeeper of the world. Mm. And Avatar The Last Airbender takes place in a world where the the next air the next avatar was scheduled to be an airbender and the Fire Nation just decided, you know what, we're going to take over the world and eliminate all the airbenders so there's no avatar to stop us. Um and then The Legend of Korra is the sequel to that. Yes. Um Well, that that's leads the basic in, idea. The third movie is a straight up Korra movie. And I say good. Oh. Okay. Korra's kind of weird. I know you didn't watch it all, right? I, you know, that's, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I said I made a list of things that I still need to catch up on. Right. Um, yeah, that is on that list. I, I really, I watched all of The Last Airbender and yeah. I loved it. I think it's one of the best cartoons I've ever seen. And I've watched a few episodes of The Legend of Korra and just kind of stopped. And I'm not really sure why, because everyone, everyone has told me it's way better than really? The Last Airbender. What I find is people have... Um, nostalgia goggles for Airbender and don't like Korra after the first chapter. Granted, hmm. the second one is the least of them in some ways, but okay. uh, the quality of Korra is way, way better, like in all respects, but the animation is where it really is pretty stark. There are episodes of Airbender that really are difficult for me. Um, I just realized why you like Korra so much. Why is that? Because so much of it is focused on sports. <laughs> well, maybe. Actually, not, <laughs> not, not so, so much. Early on. That studio is really learning its paces with with uh, Airbender. Mm-hmm. And it was also not as bad as something like Teen Titans, but it was also trying to obnoxiously be anime, you know? Yeah, I know what you mean. And boy, some of those designs... I'll, maybe, I'll invite the heat here. I think Soka's design is not that good, but it can be saved by the animators. Okay. But I, I think Katara's original design is terrible. It is mm. uh, it is how to draw anime book and not the good one. You know? <laughs> I, I just hate... She, I think that's maybe why she gets a redesign when she goes to the Fire Nation as they realize, like, this needs a cleanup. Um, She's one of those... It's kind of like... What can we do with this female character to make her look unique? Let's have her do something weird with her hair. Oh, but it's terrible. Something, 
something, Oof. you know, weird and impractical with her hair. Hmm. So everything is really tuned up by the time Korra gets there. And there's other things like about Korra too. Like, um, I like that the four parts are distinct chapters. And I, I mean like distinct storylines. Uh, right. Whereas uh, Airbender gets to be kind of a slog for me. Um, hmm. And uh, each of those has like consequences. It's It's pretty neat. But to that end... That's why I think they should have a movie. Uh, the last chapter is good, but it you can tell just by its looks that the money is running out. That you know they they've eked mm. out another one, but eh. mm. so and you know I don't know maybe I just kind of feel like they haven't fully resolved it. And also, maybe in the climate that exists now, they won't have to uh, pussyfoot around her relationship. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Oh, also, oh, no, I'm not done, uh, rousing the rabble. Um, I don't really like, uh, Iroh that much. Oh, hmm. Uh, Zuko's uncle. I think he's a big old stereotype. <laughs> anyway. Um, let's see what else. Oh uh, yeah. And I've, I've watched a little bit of Tales of Elethrion as well since last time oh right yes yeah yeah the expansion of the reward from right. uh Skjold, i guess is the studio <laughs> so i've only watched uh up to episode four okay yeah did you watch any of them i i haven't yet no mm. well episode three is just the reward again yeah it's um it's been retrofitted um, right. Like, like they've, you know, it was the first one that they made. And then when they started making a series, they put it third in the timeline. Yeah. Um, I have misgivings about this kind of thing sometimes because the original idea is compact and tight. And then when you expand on it, it gets just a little bit, you know, muddled, I guess. It's kind of mm -hmm. like when they decide, <laughs> let's put out a, a comic that, describes the backstory of the movie Labyrinth. And I'm thinking, like, that was just a whole bunch of nonsense. It's somehow going to become a little bit less when you try to say, like, oh, the, the junk dealer was really part of this and whatever. Like, what? But mm. uh, in this case, so far, uh, I don't think it diminishes the property. I think it's cool. Um, Good. Yeah, the, the, first, the first part is about the... Uh, that corpse that was holding onto the chest behind mm. the mirror. And, and that's a pretty interesting story. And, uh, boy, I guess I can't really give too many details, but it one and two are really good. And then four, um, is a little disappointing. The content is fine of, of the story. It, it <laughs> expands on those three hoodlums that try to steal, uh, the map. In the right. city. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not animated. What? It's just still frames. Hmm. Um, so it's less animated than, say, a storyboard animatic. However, they're nearly complete frames. I mean, they have, like, a lush background and well-drawn things, even if sometimes the drawing is not uh, 100% tidied. Right. 
So I guess it was a compromise, you know, like we can't put out seven fully animated chapters. So this, you'll just get like this. However, (laughs) (laughs) remember once before you were talking about in the Mr. Bean cartoon, how a problem you have with it is that uh, by the nature of it being cartoon and, you know, like Rowan Atkinson can't make faces and whatever, he talks more. Yes. Well, when it's a cartoon that doesn't move, they talk even more and more. Um, and Weird. yeah, it, as you noted before, these uh, Tales of Elethrion cartoons are just like that short and there's no true dialogue. There's a lot of grunting and stuff, right? Yeah, it's kind of it, it's sort of it's actually reminds me of like a an NFB short in a way where it's just like. Rrr. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So again, because it <laughs> because it's not moving. They do a lot more of that, a lot more gibbering and grunting. Hmm. I mean, it's fine, but I sure hope the fifth one, which you you took a little preview of, is animated. It is. Okay, good. Good, good. Yeah, I'll check out some more, Dad. Anyway, I've rambled on for a little while. Uh, What do you got, Matty? So I've become kind of hooked on a YouTube channel called Bird, which is B-E-R-D. Okay. And it's just, it's just these dumb, like less than a minute usually cartoons about little birds doing dumb things all right like if you go to the guy's patreon page it's because patreon will say like this guy is creating and then you get to fill in what you're creating like i'm creating a webcomic or whatever right about yourself Um, you mean or about this guy well no like if if you well, I'm getting to this particular creator, but like okay. I'm saying the the template for Patreon is, you know, say. Oh, OK, sure. You know, say you're making like a monthly, you know, making a YouTube series about Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. Then you could say on Patreon is like Matsy is creating a YouTube channel about Dungeons and Dragons or something right. like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, Bird's description is Bird is creating military grade blank posts i mean the blank isn't there but you can fill it in yourself Mm, okay poop posts let's say military grade poop posts sure so it's really just you know dumb stuff but it's amusing and it's it's animated well and you you mentioning audience helped things made me think of that bird Reminds me a lot about something, and I'm going to give you the six most terrifying words in the English language. Uh-huh. Let me tell you about Homestuck. Oh, okay. You are huge on this. Homestuck is really good, and I recently got the urge to go back to it because Bird's animation kind of reminded me of the way that a lot of uh, Homestuck is animated. Homestuck is a webcomic. Um, so the creator of it, I can't remember his name, something hussy. Um, he made a series called MS Paint Adventures where he would just do little comics and he would get, um, readers to submit. Like it was done like a, like a choose your own adventure, like video game, like where you type in your command or whatever. Mm. And so he would do these series where the users would submit commands and he would use them to create the story. And so it was just like this improvised story based on the user commands. Well, Homestuck started like that. 
And eventually, after a few chapters of it, he stopped doing it and started. He still presented it as if he was getting input from fans. And maybe to some extent he was. But he also started just doing it himself so that he could control the pace of the story. Okay. And that's kind of the issue with Homestuck is if you go back to it, not really knowing what it is or having seen it before and you know what's going to happen. Mm. The first part of it is so slow and hard to get through because (laughs) he has to slog through all these dumb joke suggestions that fans are giving him. And it goes nowhere for a long time. Um, But Homestuck, it's it's really complicated, but it's basically about these four kids who get involved in a video game that is actually uh, the universe's method of ending one universe and seeding new ones. Hmm. Um, And along the way, they meet up with alternate versions and a series of 12 trolls uh, based on the 12 signs of the Zodiac. Something that I like about this is that there's various groups of people and they're all themed around something like some thugs who are themed around the the um, the suits of cards or a series Mm -hmm. of mobsters who are themed around the billiard balls. It's very Dragon Ball. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, So I was I've got the urge to go back and read it again because it is over. Uh, Mm -hmm. It ended several years ago, actually. Um, but it's just hard, (laughs) but it's, but it's, it's a neat little thing. Um, but the, the other thing that I spotted, speaking of things that are on Netflix, Mm. uh, something brand new just came out like less than a week ago, I think actually maybe eight days as we are recording, uh, something called dead end paranormal park. Oh yeah. Uh, this is, I've only watched, I've only found the time to watch half of the first episode. Um, but the idea seems to be that there's this theme park based around a movie star and Phoenix something. She's a, you know, woman. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one of those. That that, that came out weird. Um, Okay. But yeah, so she's like this famous movie star and she has a theme park built around her. And these two kids, teenagers, I guess, go to get a job there. Uh, thanks to a suspicious ad inviting fellow humans to come to the park at sundown. And I'm not exactly sure where this is going, but um, one of them, Barney and Norma, are the two kids. And Barney's dog gets possessed, becomes the new um, earthly vessel for a demon king. Hmm. So it seems like this is kind of a horror-ish Thing, like a comedy horror cartoon. Right. It doesn't look like most Netflix series, which is nice. Um, it I'm, I'm actually interested in continuing this. This the first bit of the episode that I saw caught my attention enough that I kind of want to see where it goes. And right. I also want to see what's up with Barney, because there's a very telling exchange in the beginning when Barney is going out and his mom it's like, oh, but grandma's coming over. And Barney says, like, did you tell her I was going to be here? And his mom's like, yes. And Barney says, did you tell her Barney is going to be here? And his mom kind of hesitates and goes, no. And so Barney's like, OK, bye. I'm wondering if Barney is a trans male. 
I see what you're saying. Okay. And I, I want to see where this is going. Hmm. Because you usually when you see that kind of diversity in a cartoon, it is limited to one of the primary characters being a lesbian and a secondary character having two dads. That's okay. like the template for sexual diversity in cartoons. Oh, man, is it ever now? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. It is very rare to... On on the rare occasion there's a trans character, it's usually either um, kind of like both... Sec- what's the word uh, for both... Um, uh, 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 androgynous. Okay. They're kind of an androgynous character leaning towards feminine. I see. It's unusual to see a trans male character. Hmm. Like, I mean, it's unusual to see a trans character at all, but if there is, they're, like I said, they're usually kind of an feminine androgynous, and it's weird to see, like, a trans male. So I'm like, huh. Okay. Let's see where this goes. Hmm. I mean, maybe I'm totally wrong, but I don't know what else that exchange at the beginning could be. Um, I know the maybe. character you're talking about because I've seen these uh, this advertised too. So, mm, mm, mm. makes sense to me. Yeah, at least from the character design. Yeah, I keep looking at the character. Like, you know, I'm realizing now that a lot of what I say on this show sounds like I'm obsessed with cartoon characters' boobs. Oh yes, <laughs> but, but I think I'm justified here. All right. Um, and like looking because this character is kind of chubby. Right. And I'm like, is it just like the top of his stomach or the bottom of his chest? I can't tell what that line is. Uh, Have you ever seen The Aviator? Oh, uh, the... About Howard Hughes. um, Yes, I have seen that movie. Remember the bit where he has to go defend his movie at the ratings board? And he brings the weather scientist with him with some calipers to demonstrate the various breasts in other movies are not uh, are just as extreme as the ones in his movie. You know, for obsessed as I am with boobs, I don't remember that scene. It's been a while <laughs> so since funny. I've seen that movie. So funny. Oh, it's one of my favorite live action movies. <laughs> I, I was actually surprised to, when I, I was at your house like years ago and I yeah. saw that DVD on your shelf. Oh, right, right. And I was like. <laughs> I mean, I know it's a good movie, but wow, you like it enough to own it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It is a anyway. good movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, that's one of your things, being obsessed with boobs. Well, it sounds like it, but trust me, I'm, <laughs> I'm more of an ass man. Um, anyway, actually, <laughs> I won't go into it. I... That, so there, okay, we've we've talked enough about boobs or the Avatar or whatever. Um, how about we, let's let's talk about Canada. Uh, our and shirts. Home, our home and native land. Actually, we're not even talking about Canada. <laughs> no, we're not. It's funny. We're talking about shirts, holders of boobs. And so, Norway. Yes. The country of boobs, I think. <laughs> um, uh, this is uh, my grandmother... Ironed the King's shirts. Um, all right. This is from 1993, of course, from the National Film Board. This Isn't is a story. Of, hmm? I think it's 99. Am I totally wrong on this? Do I have the old? Because uh, huh. it does mention the open. it does mention the 1994 Olympics. Oh, you're right. You're right. 
Oh, fake news. Here we go. 1999. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so this is a story about the filmmaker's grandmother woven with a tall tale. It's narrated from the director's perspective. Because this is all narrated, I don't see a really good character list, you know, like a, a, a cast list. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do my best with these names. And further, uh, the director of this, Toral Cove. Mm-hmm. I Googled for the pronunciation. I got Toral Cove from multiple places. I looked for interviews with her. And wouldn't you know, every single interview has only her talking. You can't hear questions given to her. Mm. And you just see her name put on screen. Right. So try as I might, I couldn't hear anybody say her name. You know, it's it's Norwegian, I guess, right? So it could be Koei or something, right? But Toral Cove, mm. we'll say. Yeah. Um, and we apologize if that's wrong, but we, we tried. Yeah. I tr- <laughs> um, so, okay. The narrator tells a story of her grandmother, uh, Aslobek, who as it was told to her by her grandmother. In 1905... I think that's right. Uh, When Norway becomes an independent country, a new king is instated. After a summary of the deaths of previous kings to war and accident, uh, a search is undertaken to find a new king since the last one had died so long ago. Prince Carl of Denmark is crowned King Hakon VII of Norway. Okay, now it's spelled Hakon, but it's pronounced Hokon. Hokan. Okay. Yeah, as long as Hokan. as long as we're trying to get Norwegian pronunciations right. Hokan. Okay. So he and his family move into the palace in Oslo. The royal family is full of shortcomings because none of them are no- Norwegian. Uh, for example, none of them can ski. Worse yet, they couldn't iron shirts. At the reveal of royals, the crowd is aghast by their wrinkled clothes. Like, seriously, they stop cheering and cover their eyes, and the band stops playing. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, what good are royals except for pageantry? So, I guess it makes sense. Yeah, Um, That's kind of weird, too. They decided they wanted a king, considering most countries are trying to get rid of their royals. Um, Yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, in 1905, it was like, England has a king, and that's awesome, right? (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Um... So, a nearby clothing shop called Hoff is chosen to iron the king's shirts. It is there that Eslobek worked. Uh, One day, she notices the royal monogram on the shirts that she's ironing. Curiously, she follows the man, who picks up the shirts and sees him go to the palace to hand them off to the king. Filled with pride, she tells anyone and everyone about her duty. One such person, she tells, is Otar Hunsen, a police cavalier, who is so impressed that he marries her. When the Second World War breaks out, King Hokan and his family flee Oslo. He further evades German soldiers by fleeing to England from where he leads his country's resistance. <laughs> I like that sim- uh, symbolized by... One guy with the Norwegian flag on his shoulder, lethargically throwing a grenade at a bridge. Um, this this short is full of cute little gags. Yeah. Uh, so the Nazi occupiers in Oslo go to Hof to get their shirts pressed. 
Aslobic schemes against them by sabotaging their uniforms. She uses itching powder, infests the uniforms with bugs, and just straight up damages them. She enlists the other ladies at the store to sabotage uniforms too, and it becomes a movement that spreads across Norway. Uh, by 1945, in the end of the war, the Germans depart shirtless out of uniform. When the king returns, he awards medals to the shirt saboteurs, just as he does to other resistance fighters. And by the time of the 60s, Eslobik retires from Hof because she can't brook the wild hippie fashions of the time. <laughs> from then on, she only tends to her husband, the narrator's grandfather. Um, him, Otar, he has such an affinity with horses, we find out, because his ancestors were Portuguese gypsies who escaped slavery aboard Vasco da Gama's ships. But that, they say, is another story. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like you say, there's, there's some quirky comedy. I don't know if it's all laugh out loud, but it's cute. Yes, yes. Um, Mag Ruffman uh, narrates. She's the actress who plays Alice Lawson, the shopkeep from Anne of Green Gables, as well as Road to Avonlea. Which people outside Canada might not know about, but it's... I, I bet people in the States have Road to Avonlea on some kind of channel. <laughs> Surely. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a Canadian book and series and stuff about uh, a girl living on, I believe it's on, on Prince Edward Island. Yes. It's a famous novel. Yes. You would, you wouldn't believe how many anime it comes up in. Really? Yeah. Huh. It's a really famous novel, I think. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, now last week you did mention, uh, the Danish poet. Yes as a short that everyone should watch. It's also directed by the same Toral Cove. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I watched that as well, and I guess you made a point saying that, that you didn't recommend it because everybody should go see that, so I won't speak about it in detail, but I actually liked that one a little better, and, you know, go figure, it was a uh, Academy Award winner for Best Short, right? So Yeah. Um, I love The Danish Poet. Like, I think that's a fantastic cartoon. It does a lot of unexpected things, I guess. Yeah. Um, I guess I can touch lightly about that one. It's um, uh, about a depressed poet who takes a trip from Denmark to Norway because it's cheap and, you know, the, there's no big language barrier. And he does so as a pilgrimage to find his favorite author but ends up finding so much more. <laughs> um, man, that one had a lot. Of, that one had like more fun quirk to it. Yeah. Like, like it's it. Listen, it's a better cartoon. Yeah. Like, this is good too. Yeah. Like the, the whole reason that I gave you this one is because I didn't want you to spoil the Danish poet, but I wanted to mention it. Ah, uh, okay. So, so this is just a backdoor, like here, Talk all you want about this cartoon and then mention that she also made this other one that's way better. <laughs> well, I guess mission accomplished. <laughs> I mean, actually, some of the quirky stuff is funny in this. Like, I like the uh, uh, when they talk about the succession 
the the short term <laughs> rulership of past Norwegian kings, yeah. and it's just like a bunch of Norwegian kings on a battlefield all killing each other. Yeah, like it's Reservoir Dogs or something. Yeah, like the one who gets shot with an arrow, and he just kind of looks at it and tries to pull it out and can't, and then the yes. archer gets shot in the background. And <laughs> yeah, this is cute stuff. Yeah. Hmm. It's a good cartoon. It's it's. A key, I like this director, Toriel Cove. She's uh, she's got chops. Hmm. Right, right. Um. Yeah, I think that's all I got to say about this. Yeah, it's it's pretty self-explanatory. Like it's it's done nicely. You know, it's it, it, there's not a lot of animation to it, but it's stylized. You know, it's like you know these kind of cute characters that I don't know. I don't know what yeah. to say about it. It's it's a neat little cartoon. It's a uh, it's a good little story. All right. Well, perhaps you found my recommendation a neat little story. Yeah. Um. This is called the Mountain of Sagana. Now, Sagana. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But I think it's Iskana. Iskana. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Because this is in the language of the Haida. Uh, Aboriginal people, the Haida are a Indian tribe, let's say, mm. um, who are uh, native to a pair of islands currently known as Haida Gwaii, but in the past you may have learned them as the Queen Charlotte Islands. If you look you at a map, if you look at a map of British Columbia, there's this big island down at the bottom that's vancouver island and if you go up a little bit there's two little islands like a triangle that's Haida Gwaii. you know it's funny uh so uh, raven is native right and yes. and there's a sort of thing like when people think of the pacific northwest they think of the Haida, even though there's tons of different tribes right and the Haida but, are pretty like secluded to, well like like Pretty more or less. I mean, you know, obviously they've spread out, but like the well, historically but, their native land is those two islands. Yes, but by her account, thinking historically, they're also warlike and slavers, so it really feels like <laughs> an extra burn, right? That they, oh jeez, <laughs> that they always get the notoriety because the artwork is so popular. But yeah, um, I know that we. I don't know about you, but um, in school, the Haida was the specific. Uh, Indian tribe that they used to teach us about Aboriginal people. Hmm. It's kind of a big thing in British Columbia because uh, there's a Haida artist. Well, there was. He's he's passed now. Named uh, Bill Reed, whose artwork is so famous that I believe there's one of his sculptures. Well, there's a uh, one of his sculptures in the Vancouver uh, airport. There's a sculpture right. in the uh, Canadian Embassy in Washington, and. Uh, depictions of his artwork are actually on the Canadian $20 bill. Hmm. The current one, yeah. anyway. Yeah, wait, Raven's no, not it. No, wait, not the current one. The previous one. Right. The, the I can't even one. really think of it too well, but okay, yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that's a long uh, diatribe about this one tribe. Um. <laughs> but yeah, the diatribe about a tribe. Yeah, the mountain of Iskana. Um. So yeah, this, uh, when did this come out? Oh, not, oh don't 20, trust 20, me. <laughs> it, was, it was 2017. It came out in 2017, uh, directed by the Haida filmmaker, Christopher Ochter. 
I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce. Boy, yeah, this is German. That's German, right? Octor. Well, you know, I mean, a lot of a lot of native people, their names are kind of co-opted. You know, they were Europeanized. Oh, especially here. But then they but then they have their, you know, their real names, which are all more in tune with their language. Mm. Anyway, uh, so this came out in 2017 and it goes like this. It um, it opens with a fishing boat. Well, actually, it opens with a little fishing lure shaped like a whale. But we'll get back to that. Uh, it opens with this fishing boat. And this guy is just, you know, he's not really paying attention to stuff. He's just tapping on his phone like people do. Just making sure his boat doesn't hit any rocks. Um, all the while, this little red bird is around. Although he's not paying attention to that. Uh, he is distracted from his phone, I guess, when his tea kettle goes off. And when he goes to check it out, what he finds is a little mouse lady, a little old mouse lady in traditional native clothing. And she starts telling a story and at the same time knitting, uh, I guess a tapestry or something. This is probably a Haida thing where it's like a story told on this like piece of clothing or tapestry or whatever. I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. not a Haida. I don't know. But anyway, she tells the story of this couple, this Indian couple uh, on the shore. And one of them, the, the man walks out to spear an otter, but the otter just casually leaves, leaving the guy to get eaten by a giant orca. And his woman heartbroken. So it's just, we just get a little reminder that the the guy, the, the mm. fisherman, is all into this story. He is very interested in this. Um, right. The next part of the story, it gets a little confusing, but but basically, this mouse lady meets up with this woman and sends her out on a canoe with the little red bird that we saw earlier and a white animal that I think might be a marmot. Yeah, maybe. I'm not 100% sure. It's some kind of a ferretish looking thing. Yeah. She goes off in this boat to a particular particular place and starts singing in the rain. And meanwhile, we get to see this weird purple place in a different style of animation where the orca spits out the guy and then turns into this mysterious black skinned woman who kisses him on the cheek. And that seems to enchant him back on the canoe. The woman drops that, uh, whale shaped lure off the side and begins singing. And the marmot or whatever it is, is so startled by jellyfish that he falls backwards and knocks the lady off of the boat where she decides the thing to do is just to swim down and find her man herself. But of course, it's a long way down and she runs out of air. But she is rescued by, I guess it's a flounder. It's a big flat fish of some kind. And it's a ray, isn't it? A ray, maybe. Yeah, flounder. it's a ray. I, ray. I'm okay, sure. sure. Some kind of flat fish. Well, I don't know, because like if you look like he's got a face on the underside, but also he has another face on the back, which is like the flounder kind of face with both eyes on the same side of the head and the mouth. Hmm. So it might be a little bit of both. I don't know. Um, I think I think the face under is like his human person face and the because these yeah. are just like 
these aren't obviously normal orcas or or rays. No, I mean this is this yeah. is um magic sea of, life. Kind of like an aboriginal depiction of these creatures. Hmm. Um they do this a lot like we would tell we would learn stories in school about like the raven who's a huh, I just realized that a um hmm. noted trickster. Um anyway, this flounder seems to have designs on eating the lady until she sings to him. And that seems to get him on her side. Now we go to a house under, I, this might be like a native longhouse or something underwater where we're a monster cave, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of sea life there. Yeah. And it seems like they're preparing for the wedding between the, um, the, let's call him the, no, wait, we can't call him the fisherman. He's, there's a different fisherman. The, the native man who was kidnapped. Yeah. It seems like they're going to get married. When the orca lady touches his hand, he turns all black skinned like her and seems to be enchanted. And a whale headman or shaman is there preparing, hmm. I guess, to wed them. Hmm. But then the flounder man shows up and creates a diversion by tripping and spilling his weird liquid or honey or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, spilling his weird liquid all over the place yeah 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 uh he's got like soup or something yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) it looked like honey to me but i don't know yeah anyway fish uh, bones yeah yeah yes true some kind of stew uh this allows the woman to run in and hug her man which breaks the spell and the two of them run out with the enraged orca lady chasing after them they swim up to the boat and we find that where the marmot was waiting is now just a skeleton, which blows away as dust and the boat like falls apart in her hands, indicating that it's probably been many years since this happened. And they are assaulted by the orca leaping out of the water. And at this point, the fisherman in the current day, I guess, wakes up and he finds that that is the last piece of the tapestry that the mouse lady has uh, made the orca attacking the two who have come out of the water. And then the fisherman spots the red bird. And that's when he is able to find the boat with the the two Haida in it, waiting for rescue. The orca is about to smash into them, and the fisherman bravely steers his boat into the orca's path, averting disaster, and throws a rope to the two Indians so that they can be towed to safety. In the end, they clasp hands in friendship, and that is the actual last piece of this tapestry, because they are saved. Mm. And that's the end. You so, know, hmm? well, uh, what a neat thing of this a story is that formline images partition the screen like comic panels in a lot of instances. Yes. It's pretty ingenious. I mean, it's on the the weaving as well. Yeah, so that is broken up that way to be like comic panels. But but that happens during the show is even more interesting. Now, it can be a little challenging, but when it looks this good, I'll take the challenge. Yeah, this is really well done. Like the artwork in this is beautiful. Mm. Um, I love the idea of I mean, this isn't exactly a native story, but it's a native style story. Yeah, um, well, it's every every culture has a magic sea creature that wants to seduce men for some reason. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 
Um, and also, so, mm. furry artists, where is the rule 34 for this orca woman? Get on it. Yeah. Um, okay. Something that I noted was that it said it's written by Christopher Ochter and Annie Reed. And mm. I tried looking online to see if there's some kind of a relation between Annie Reed and Bill Reed. Mm-hmm. But I could not find any evidence of that. Um, hmm, Bill Reed, Bill Reed was married twice, but I could not find any article that mentions him having children. Hmm. So I don't know if Annie Reed is like his daughter or some kind of relative or, you know, maybe Reed is just a name that, well, I guess if they're Haida and they have the same last name, they would probably be related in some way. Well, that's the deal, right? It's when you, uh, in, in small communities like that, you have to look hard to find someone to date that isn't your cousin, right? So, yeah. um, I put that the wrong way. Someone who isn't your cousin to date would be the better order to put that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, I like this looks beautiful. Yeah. Like, every piece of it is fantastic. You even know, the, the, even the grotesque sea creatures, like the fact that they're sure. grotesque as they're supposed to be. The woman is so cute. Yes. Uh, I especially like her outfit. I like her little apron with the mm-hmm. face on it. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, she looks cute. The orca lady looks cute. The little mouse lady looks cute. Uh, yeah. Oh, the just background stuff. Like yeah. the last shot of the of the bed with the blanket on it. Nice. And the um, <laughs> I'll say that they've time traveled probably hundreds of years. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They're going to be so impressed by the modern day and possibly also really bummed out. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um... I mean, never mind that their families are all gone. Or at least advanced by several generations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know... I mean, we don't need to dwell on that part of the story. No, the fact I guess is not. That, the fact is that they are saved. But, you know, I like the way this looks. Um, it I was like... refreshing for me. Yeah. I enjoyed all the other shorts, don't get me wrong. But they... are all are very similar and this one is different it's like colorful and detailed and it's got no dialogue versus if you if you count also the danish poet for extensively narrated stories yeah yeah that's true (laughs) that is a weird i didn't think about that but yeah very similar picks we've made yeah for the most part except for except for this one which is the weird outlier but um you know, I like the fact that this got made and it looks yeah. fantastic. I mean, you know, we're comparing animation from 2017 and 1999 and 1979. I mean, oh, sure. we'll, get, we'll get to the 1979 part, but, but yeah, it's, it's really good. Yep. You should, you should totally watch it um, and learn a bit about uh, the Aboriginal storytelling um, style. Mm-hmm. Of the Haida Gwaii. Good stuff. Um, right. yeah. Where do we go from here? Contrasts and comparisons. Another light watch, a different style, but he's equally enjoyable. Here and there. Uh, in this short, most everything has been done, at least on the artistic side, by uh, Diane Obamsawin. This is 2006, I hope. Uh, (laughs) As far as I know, it is. Yeah. So 
It is another animator's personal story with a bunch of narration and plenty of quirk. Aesthetically, all the people are goofy looking birds and the backgrounds are all textiles. So here we go. Mm. The stork drops off the narrator, we'll just call her Diane, to her parents in Montreal, Canada in 1959. They move to Paris, France, and soon after, her brother is dropped by another stork, or maybe the same stork. Hmm. Uh, as kids, the siblings bond over eating pink toilet paper with sugar while pretending that it's cotton candy. I might normally skip something like this when I'm telling a synopsis, but by incredible coincidence, in Kotaro Lives Alone, they bring up the issue of neglected kids uh, being so desperate that they eat tissue. <laughs> hmm. It's just my, a weird coincidence with my week. That's uh, that's making me feel bad because my cat used to love to eat toilet paper. My uh, my old cat used to like to eat plastic bags. We had to really stop her because I'm obviously that's going to do terrible stuff for her guts. Anyway, I, I digress. Yeah. Um. So the family moves to Bordeaux. But the parents argue and get divorced. It's like, it's over. Don't go. Um, so the family takes the kids back to Montreal. But the mom, f or the dad does, he takes the kids back to Montreal. But the mom flies there first to talk things over. And then she returns alone back to Paris. So among anecdotes about Montreal in 1967, Diane's brother speaks into a phone at the World's Fair to Donald Duck, who is speaking English. So he doesn't understand. Hmm. I, I didn't expect in another another appearance of Donald Duck in one of our National Film Board episodes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Diane does poorly in school. Their father gets a job in the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And the kids are looked after by varying caregivers. Diane and her brother get more attentive care when they fly to Paris to be with their mother and her new husband and his three sons from other marriages. At 13 years old, Diane, fed up with fighting with her brother and living with this new family, returns to Montreal to spend a year with her father. And then she goes back to Paris. Because her mother and stepfather argue so much, Diane and her brother are sent to a boarding school. The siblings find solace in each other there. After a wild goose chase, uh, Diane and her bro return to Paris. Their mother is living large there, but even though they've got money, her mother and stepfather argue. Bean head, horse face, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> this, this whole thing's narrated in such a funny way. Um, so the couple splits and Diane and her brother go live in Nice. That's another French city. Uh, Diane's mother continues to work in Paris. Her father remarries. And Diane herself enjoys life and makes comic strips. And then at 18, she moves on. So this isn't really a plot. It's just life. Yeah. But it's kind of funny. Like, what it is, is all the weird oddities that stand out from these years, right? That Yeah. That, you know, her brother flipped his bike and chipped his tooth and, you know. Well, yeah, she'll like she'll like make a point of like some, you know, you you glossed over most of them except for the um, 
the toilet paper and the Donald Duck. But like she'll just tell a, a story that she remembers apropos of nothing about how they like her and her brother turned on all the taps in the bathroom and got na- drawer got in a drawer naked singing about being in a boat. <laughs> right, right, like it's, right. It has nothing to do with the plot, but it's just something that she remembers from her childhood. I mean, the basic premise of this is that that she lives a life of bouncing back and forth between Montreal and Paris. Yeah. Or France, Fran- the greater France area. Um, yeah. And also that, you know, her family's changed so radically during this time, right? But mm-hmm. So that's just kind of in the background, I guess, to all this. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's all humorous. Yeah. Actually, you know, you know what this is? Um, it's kind of like Studio Ghibli or Ghibli. Studio Ghibli's Only Yesterday. Except okay. that this is nine minutes and Only Yesterday is two days long. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. Actually, I, I really like Only Yesterday, but it's the same kind of thing. You know, it's like growing up, but then I'm going to tell you a story about, you know, when all the boys are teasing us about getting a period or whatever, you know, like little right. weird anecdotes like that. So. Mm-hmm. Did you look at any of the other works of Diane Obamsawain? Obamsawain? I, I think I did, but they're kind of lost to me right now. What are the other ones? Well, the one that stands out to me the most is one called I Like Girls. Um, hmm. That one is... So it to give you a little background here, Diane Obamsawain, she just goes by Obam for professional purposes. Mm. Um, Obam, Obam, I keep calling her Obamsawain. It's Obamsawain. Um, yeah, I believe her father tying into the last one is actually uh, an indigenous Canadian. OK, um, she certainly she, sounds like it. Well, she has that background, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also, I like girls, as you might imagine. It's just a collection of stories told by various women about their lesbian awakening. Hmm. Like, you know, this was the moment when I realized I was I I like girls or whatever. And as a fun bit, the last one is by Diane. Okay. So we have this hectic life that she has led, just going back and forth between Canada and France, also being half Aboriginal and a lesbian. Hmm. She's kind of an amazing woman and I love her. Standard cartoon character now. Well, mm, yeah, I, I, you know what? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Maybe, maybe this, maybe she set the trend. Yeah, everybody's just following in Obama's footsteps. Thanks, Obamsawin. <laughs> um, that's a good joke. Uh, so <laughs> I mentioned at the front, but you may have forgotten that the characters are all birds. I'm yeah. pretty sure they're birds. They've yeah. got long noses that I guess are beaks and they've got definitely bird feet. Yep. Um, for the most part, they don't walk. They hop. And it's funny. Yeah. There's like little hopping birds, which in a practical sense is easier to animate as well. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the narration is funny. You know what? We talked about um, some Hertzfeld animations last time. Right. It's sort of... Her style is sort of like a less absurdist version of Hertzfeld. Like it's it's attached to a storyline. A little bit, yeah. But it's still crazy, you know, like when she's one of the things I skipped, she she that when she's flying from France back to Montreal, 
she's thinking about the banana that she left in the school, the school classroom. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like an anthropomorphized banana that like peeks its head out of the pocket when she's thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what? It's got this like non or this, this like expression on its face. Like, where is everybody? <laughs> yeah. 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 So you, you see what I'm saying, right? It's very yeah. Hertzfeldian. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot of fun though. <laughs> It is fun, yes. I like this cartoon you me, a lot. You, you gave me two very similar shorts, I think. <laughs> eh, some in this extent, respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, biographical kind of uh, stories. A little bit, yeah. Well, I guess we can transition yeah. to someone else's story. Well, yeah. Also, history, too. Uh, well, oh wait, we'd be better if we smashed that first one together with this one. Yeah. The iron the shirts and this one being... Uh, anyway... Yeah, well, I mean, hey, they both. Well, this one's set in France. Well, there you go. So, so it's it's at least it's at least half connected to. Uh, anyway, so this is called. Win, win, win. Yeah, this is called John Law and the Mississippi Bubble, and this is by Richard Condy. So Richard Condy is the hilarious man who I think we did last year <laughs> with getting started. Um, right. And he's he's done a bunch of really funny. The big snit is fantastic. Oh, yeah. This is one of his earlier works, John Law and the Mississippi Bubble. And this is from 1979. And hold on to your hats because it's educational. Hmm. Um, It opens with just a little bit about, hey, no risk, get rich quick schemes that always work. Demonstrated by a guy unicycling across a tightrope to get to some money, but uh, is thwarted by the obvious tax. I mean, like, like spiky nail tax, not Mm. like money tax although this is about money because it's talking about france back in the um the remnants of louis the 14th's uh reign when there was basically no money because louis had borrowed all the gold from everybody in france to build his spectacular palace and now everybody is poor and so there's a couple of the the new king is only five years old. So there's a regent and the regent decides, well, I'll make everybody complacent by giving them IOUs. And the people are like, no. And then he's like, well, how about if I devalue gold? So you don't want it as much. And that <laughs> just kind of ruins the economy. And that's where the Scottish economist John Law comes in. John Law has traveled all over Europe kind of learning about uh, economy and fixing people's problems. And his idea here is, hey, instead of giving them IOUs for gold or trying to play with the value of gold, just give them a note from the bank that says it's worth gold. Have people come to the bank, establish a bank, because there are no banks yet. Have people come in, deposit their gold there, and they get a piece of paper, a bank note, that says that it is worth whatever amount of gold, like five francs of gold or whatever. And this actually works a treat. People really like this idea of getting just pieces of paper to carry around that's worth the same amount as like gold, which is very heavy, as we have mentioned a few times in this uh, podcast. (laughs) Yeah. It works out so great that the regent decides, okay, We are only dealing in banknotes now. Paper money is the way to go. And he makes way too much of it. He kind of forgets the idea 
that for real money to work, it has to be backed up by something, or at least it does at this time. You can't just have a million or not more than a million, like trillions of francs worth of paper that says there's trillions of francs worth of gold that you can exchange these banknotes for. But whatever, that's that's a problem for another day. Meanwhile, John Law is dreaming about other ways to deal with money. For example, France at this point has a territory in North America called Louisiana. Nobody really lives there, but because nobody's there, nobody knows what is there. Other European hmm. companies are making a mint. Well, I, I don't, I maybe a poor choice of words, but they're making a lot of money. They're finding all kinds of natural resources, gold and diamonds and furs. Who knows what's in Louisiana? It could be made of gold for all they know. And so his idea is let's make a company. Um, the, I actually can't remember the name of the company, but anyway, well, the Mississippi, yeah, the Mississippi, yeah, it's where the Mississippi term comes from. Yeah. 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 Basically they're going to make a company that is going to exploit the natural resources, the vast untapped natural resources of the promised land of Louisiana. And remember, Louisiana at this point extends up into most of the central United States. It's not just the current state of Louisiana. Um, and so they're going to make this company and they're going to make a whole bunch of money by selling shares in this company. And people love the idea. They buy shares in the company and they start selling and trading these um, shares amongst themselves. And yes. it's that's so funny. Hmm? They, they they have that bit where they they separate the uh, the well to do's and the common rabble. Yes, um, they've got fences that they drop down for like a stock market meeting in the middle of the street. Yeah, yeah. I love the common people. They're just a whole bunch of weirdos and crazies. Yeah, yeah. The the, the common people are all, they all have their noses in the air and their eyes closed. Like, hmm. Um, also, if you look the, at the, yeah, the well, if you look at the yeah. overhead view, they have arranged themselves into this nice fleur de lis. Whereas, oh, yes. whereas the common people are just like, like, like yeah. Richard Condy people with their eyes spinning around and just this. Oh, there's so much good Richard Condy stuff earlier yeah. when the regent gets excited about printing banknotes and his eyes are spinning. Yeah. Did you <laughs> notice in the background of that? Like he's just got these banknotes everywhere and there's like a clothesline in the background with a whole bunch of banknotes hanging on it and then just a pair of socks. I didn't I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah. there's it's Richard Condy stuff. Um, yeah. But anyway, the point of this is that everybody is making all kinds of money buying and selling shares of this company that is going to make a whole bunch of money in North America. This is where the term millionaire comes from, because for the first mm. time, people actually had millions of currency worth of currency. It would be Frank's. It's worth nothing, but yeah. Yeah. Well, that's where it all falls apart, because then one day this guy, they say it's a prince. I don't know if it actually is a prince, but somebody mm. comes to the bank and decides, hey, all these banknotes that I have that are worth millions of francs worth of gold. I want the gold. And the bank's job is to do exactly this. So they're like, uh, OK. And they basically, because remember, there are way more banknotes 
there are banknotes in circulation worth way more than there actually is gold deposited in the banks. And so when this prince comes and takes all his gold, he's basically taken all of it. And word gets yeah. out among the rich that are only rich because they have all these banknotes that say they're worth gold. And like there's a scene here where they're at eating dinner and they're like literally just eating the money because they have so much of it. They don't even care. Oh, yes. <laughs> but now the words gets out that there might not actually be enough gold around to back up all these banknotes. And so there's runs on the bank. They try to get their money back and the the government, the the regent and John Law realize, oh, this is a big problem. And so they start establishing various edicts to stunt this. They decide that gold is devalued. They decide to <laughs> they decide to take gold and uh, they hmm. basically just whatever they can do. They close down. They make buying and selling gold illegal. They close the bank. They um they established that banknotes are no longer worth what they say they're worth. They're only worth half. And then they do the edict where they're, they're going to buy back all the shares of the Mississippi company that they sold, but nothing really works. It's still just kind of, it's still kind of a mess. They decide that gold is illegal currency. Now only banknotes are, are allowed. And so everybody has tons of banknotes, but no money to back it up. The the economy just kind of crumbles and there's not really much anybody can do about it. The people end up poor as heck. The the regent is a mess and John Law just absconds to Italy. <laughs> and then we get a little follow up where in London a new company is being formed called the South Sea Company, which is going to exploit all the fabulous resources of the South Seas. If I remember correctly, this might actually be a slaving company. If I remember hey, my yeah, history. So. And yeah, that's basically the story. It's the story of how if you play fast and loose with currency, you can end up ruined because Currency has to be based on something. And I actually really like that. Like, this is a concept that's fascinated me for a while. Ever since I read uh, a series of books by the author whose name escapes me, Neil Stevenson. That's it. Okay. Um, he is best known probably for his novel Snow Crash, which nerds love and is a good book. But he did a series of books later uh, called. Oh, I should have looked this up. What are they called? It's. The Baroque Cycle, that's it. Mm. He did a series of books called The Baroque Cycle, um, which is kind of set in old time Europe. And mm. it, it it's really interesting in that it establishes things about money that you kind of don't think about. Like, for example, why some coins have ridges along the outside. Hmm. OK. And the reason is. So what they would do is they would have silver and gold coins and people would shave off little bits on the outside that you couldn't yeah. really see that it had been shaved down. But if you collect enough of it, you can make a whole new coin. Right. So if it has those ridges, 
you can tell that it's not been shaved. Yeah, and I, if I remember correctly, I believe that was an innovation uh, spearheaded by Isaac Newton. Um, Isaac Newton, you know, he's a famed physicist, um, but also in the later years of his life, he actually ran uh, the British Mint. Hmm. Um, but things like this, like, I really like these I- ideas of economy, like, because, you know, we play Dungeons and Dragons and or uh, yeah. various other video games where you just get a whole bunch of gold, right? Like, you find a chest and there's 20 gold yeah. pieces in it. But where do those gold pieces come from? And are all gold pieces the uniform amount of gold? Um, I mean, well, I, in know, those cases, I figure it's because... My, my feeling for why they have value in Dungeons and Dragons is because extra planar things want them. So you have the standard that like, oh, it, if you have 10,000 gold pieces, a fire elemental will do something for you. Yeah. And then that trickles down to knowing how much, you know, like it's a copper piece for a sheaf of wheat or whatever. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. you well, I mean, I think it's established. I think for player ease, it's just established. Like if you say you found 20 gold pieces, maybe it's actually yeah. like. 15 dwarven gold pieces but for our purposes the actual practical value of it is 20 gold pieces mm. you know what i mean um and gold it is it, something else that i learned because back in it wasn't that long ago that i was thinking about gold and i was like why do people value gold it's not really good for anything like mm. the real valuable material would be something like iron copper well copper now because of electricity but you know in a fantasy setting where there is no electricity it's like whatever right and the reason that gold is valuable and silver is because they don't react with other things they don't tarnish Hmm. if you have a piece of iron eventually it'll rust and then it'll be worth nothing but a piece of gold will never rust it'll never oxidize uh, it is very hard to destroy gold. Like you can bend it and you can cut it and you can like pound right. it flat. But the actual gold itself, um, you can't break it like you can break a diamond. Gold is literally forever. If you find a piece of gold now, <laughs> like, you know, you you can still have pieces of gold from like centuries ago. And it's the exact same as it was centuries ago because it just doesn't ever go away. And that's why gold is like the the go to currency because once you make a gold coin it's always going to be that same gold coin forever hmm it's like you're doing an ad yeah buy gold for gold yeah (laughs) but anyway my point is i'm fascinated by explanations of economics that we take for granted yeah i mean modern economics i'm fat it's fascinating slash disgusting though Mm, too yeah true i mean um, we're not really backed by gold anymore. The gold standard is not a thing. It's just, you know, and especially with, with computers and stuff where, you know, my bank account might say that I have whatever amount of money, like, you know, $4,000 in my checking account or something. That doesn't mean that there's like, you know, a hundred or 400, I guess. Or what would it, I can't do the math in my head, but it doesn't mean that there's like this, in some vault somewhere, there's a stack of $20 bills with my name written on mm. it. It means that there's a computer somewhere that says, trust me, he has $4,000. And if he wants to take away, you know, $10 to buy a hamburger and fries, that's fine. It'll just be $3,990 now. You know what blows my mind about this voodoo economics stuff? <laughs> yeah, what? 
when nations find themselves in some real trouble, <laughs> the topic comes up, well, we could just print some money, you know, it's like a, it's like a child's solution to it. Yeah. And it does have problems, but you can in fact, sh you know, solve the short term that way. That blows my mind that you could actually do that. Well, look up the economy of Zimbabwe sometime. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they had to, like, redecimalize their money, like, six times because <laughs> the inflation was... Actually, the novel Snow Crash, now that I think of it, um, mm. there's a part in there where um, there's a girl who is arrested, and she... <laughs> it, the uh, the police have a system set up for bribery. Like, they basically just have, like, a, 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 a credit card reader in the back seat where you can, like, mm. you know pay to determine which jail you're going to go to. And, <laughs> and it's like billions of dollars because huh. the American dollar is worth nothing. It's <laughs> all Chinese currency. You see? Oh yeah. The, the, the world, the America is just cut up into a whole bunch of little micro states and yeah. Hmm. Um, inflation. So, and, it, well, the, for cartoons, this cartoon, did you know that this was actually, the proposal made by Richard Condy's sister, Sharon. Really? Yeah. So she worked quite a bit on this. She did the research, wrote the story for this film, mm -hmm. animated and drew the backgrounds. It's like one of the only things she didn't do is direct it. Um, so at the time, uh, Richard Condy's proposal to the NFB got turned down. Hmm. It was hers that went through. But, you know, he he piggybacked on his sister's success and... And made this. Yeah, I think maybe he just ingratiated himself to the NFB because I remember him doing another like um, I don't know what it was, but it was a little short about a about why you can't uh, bring outside plants and animals into the country. Right. Um, and it was something about like, you know, the, like a, a husband and wife had a plant that they were trying to get in and they were being. That's after this one, though. Is it after this one? The well, yeah, like, yeah he did. Yeah, I think what's it's the, like what's the first one he made? Is it's like oh, oh um oh 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 um oh sure that's it oh sure yeah yeah he actually made that before and sold it afterwards mm. to the NFB but yeah but yeah but I think like maybe to, maybe this kind of thing ingratiated him where he's like he made this and the NFB's yeah. like oh cool education oh yeah sure and he's sure like, got his foot in the door he's like oh you want an <laughs> educational film here's one about uh, smuggling plants and animals into the country. Yeah, it's kind of inspiring that, you know, it, it, this is what the National Film Board is for. Yeah. That these, you know, two kids that are recently out of school that uh, they help them make this movie. Pretty neat. Yeah. Well, this, this short animation. Yeah. Yeah. The National Film Board of Canada is a wonderful thing. And on that note, yep, let's move away from it. Right, right. Um, so this was fine stuff. But for next week, um, I suggested we should... Pick some cartoons with cowards in them. Yeah. So, Matsy, huh. for you, if you dare, please watch an episode of the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Oh, goodness. Called Eye of the Beholder. Just one, huh? Yep. Okay. Well. Actually, I had an alternate just in case you picked the same one. <laughs> I, well, I, I did not. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> I actually killed two birds with one stone here because I've been thinking recently, you know, I watch a lot of Netflix cartoons and I was thinking yeah. that maybe I should go to the 
the other side of the, well, one of the other sides of the streaming coins here and see what kind of animated originals they make on Amazon Prime. Oh boy. Amazon Prime Video. Um, okay. By complete coincidence, I found this cartoon on another website and then discovered that it's an Amazon Prime Video original. So, All right. hooray, two birds with one stone. And I'm going into this more or less blind as well. Okay. And we're carrying on kind of a weird running series that we have on this show. Oh. Um, it's called Lost in Oz. Ah, neat. Okay. Yeah. It is episode two, and if I remember correctly, the title of it is Dorothy Meets a Lion. Okay. Now, Another coincidence. Two episode twos. Huh. Yeah. Um, now, my understanding is that this is actually a story thing, so it might jump in in the middle. So, okay. I don't know, if you're feeling, fine. If you're feeling fine. really gumptious, you might... Uh, watch episode one as well, but I don't know. I, oh, I'm sure I'll be totally lost on the events of the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> well, okay. Micah, we'll see. from what we'll see. I have seen of this cartoon, yeah. um, you might be pretty lost because this is, this is a very new take on the Wizard of Oz. All right. Yeah. Well, get lost with us next week. Until then, let us know on the Twitters what to watch, what we should be talking about. I am at Drabs Watch. I am at AC Matsy, and you really should just tweet at everybody that this podcast exists. Because they need, if you like it, like, why wouldn't you want other people to like it too? Come on. So do that. And also tweet at me. I am at AC Matsy. And now the slogan of Canada. I often wore my Canadian sweater with a gray skirt and I was always in a bad mood.